0: Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week nine, day three of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 25, 13 through 27. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us? Fascinate us with your word today. We want to encounter the living word, you, Jesus through your written word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 25, starting in verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. Pausing right there. The the way that the governance in Israel worked was quite interesting and I, I think a little bit unique in the Roman world. <clears throat> the Romans had an extensive bureaucracy extending out, kind of bringing the Pax Romana, the Roman peace uh, to all of the Roman world. And, and, and so you would have these procurators and governors and, you know, these regional authorities and things like that. <clears throat> the kings of Israel, it's a very interesting thing to think about. You've got the emperor in Rome, right? And the emperor Imperator, as the word originally was, is supposed to be first among equals, right? Is, is First you've got Julius Caesar, and then the, the first true emperor of Rome was Octavian, who became known as um, uh, Augustus Caesar, or Caesar Augustus. And he was there during Jesus's day. <clears throat> and so you have this idea of you still have some sort of democracy or whatever, but you've really got an emperor in charge. And then you've got governors in the land of Israel, but you've also got kings, right? You had King Herod. How does that work? And this all goes back to when Rome took over Israel, the The lineage of Herod's family essentially ingratiated themselves to the Romans and said, hey, how about you let us do the heavy lifting of governance of this people? And We'll pay you taxes and we'll honor Rome in everything that we do. You know, we'll essentially turn the kingdom over to you. And, and they knew that they were losing their independence, the Jews did. And so the this very opportunistic family uh, told, essentially said, Hey, we're of the kingly line anyway. Let us do the heavy lifting. You can bring Roman troops and you can bring your governors here like you have everywhere else in the world but let us maintain this control and, and we'll help you. And essentially um, Julius Caesar, Octavian, Caesar Augustus, they end up saying, eh, fine, sounds good to me. And so this uh, this kingly line, and it actually even predated Julius Caesar's reign, <clears throat> they say, fine, works for us. And so Israel gets to have uh, a set of kings, territorial kings and over over this area, and essentially, what it allows them to do is just live really well, really live really high on the hog. Tax the Jews for their own purposes, and, and in some ways, the Jews are kind of getting double and triple taxed. The temple tax, they have Caesar's tax, and in some cases, the Herod, you know, Herod the Great, and then the, his, his children, his offspring, ended up taxing them, you know, a, a kind of a third time over. And so, it's very difficult. Time period to live in Israel, they were, I mean, they were really getting triple dipped in a lot of ways, double and triple dipped, to to keep things afloat. But that's why we have a king in this context, uh, in the context of of the Romans. And in fact, we know that that you know, uh, when Jesus was born and he comes back after spending time in Egypt, because Herod the Great was dead. He didn't go back to Jerusalem because Joseph, his father, heard that Archelius was ruling in Herod's place in Jerusalem. And the kind of the background story behind Archelius is that when Herod the Great died, you know, they buried him and he became ruler in Jerusalem. Archelius had actually been brought up. Herod sent all of his children to be educated in Rome kind of in these boarding schools in Rome amongst the wealthy Roman elite so that they could be well-connected. And, and so, you know, after they were educated, they came back and they took over ruling. Arcalius takes over and after some period of time, he decides, I need to go to Rome to kind of kiss the ring and be, you know, properly appointed as king in my father's place by the emperor And so he does just that. He goes and he's gone for six months to Rome. When he comes back, there's this massive rebellion and he actually ends up crucifying thousands and thousands of people in the plains of Jericho who had essentially staged a mini coup, if you will, at the temple. And so Joseph hears about that and he's like, "Ah, we're not going back to Jerusalem, Mary and Jesus. We're going to go back to Nazareth where we're from because this guy's crazy. And so all of these people, they were brought up in Rome. So they're very well connected, very well tied in. And, and so they essentially have some kind of authority, but not really. It's it's a very interesting dynamic that was the, the, the Herodian line and the kingship in Israel during this time period. All right, with that, let's continue on. That's why there's a king and a Roman governor all meeting together. Verse 16. I told them that this is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they faced their accusers and had an opportunity to defend themselves against these charges. Verse 17, when they came with me here, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus whom Paul claimed was alive. So this is interesting, right? They're saying Paul deserves to die. And Festus is like, "Well, that's pretty serious charges. I'll hear I'll hear this right away." And he does, next day. And then they come up and they're like, "Yeah, he deserves to die because of this and this and this because this guy Jesus is dead and Paul says he's alive and and because, you know, he desecrated the temple and and Festus is thinking, "I don't care about any of that. The desecrating your temple is not a a capital offense, especially not for a Roman citizen. It's like none of this. I mean, in fact, when we go back and we look back historically, we know that the, really the first Roman encounter, uh, the 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 Jews won their independence from the Greeks and then they were independent for a, a long period of time. And then the the Roman general Pompey comes in and, and kind of storms through Israel and you know he's in investigating everything and learns that there's this temple that only Jews are allowed to go into. No Gentile, especially Pompey, is not allowed into the temple. Not allowed inside. Not allowed to do any of that kind of stuff. And Pompey says, "What? I'm not allowed in a place? I'm 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 the Roman general. You can't tell me that I can't go in a place." And so essentially, he goes into the temple. And he does exactly what they're accusing Paul here of, essentially, is he goes into the te- inside the building of the temple. And so thereby desecrates the temple of having a Gentile, having walked in, because he's like, you're not going to tell me I can't walk into a building essentially under my jurisdiction and not be able to see it. And so he walks into the inner room of the temple. Uh, but at the same time, he understood, he knew that he was desecrating. And so he actually pays the Jews money to reconsecrate the temple for him walking into it. But he's like, he said... You're, you can't tell me that I can't go in there. And so he does it, right? And so there's this understanding. All of these Romans, they have this in the back of their mind, and they're saying, they're thinking to themselves, you're saying that he's desecrated the temple and he deserves death because of that, and he's a Roman citizen? Saying, like, don't you remember what Pompey did? I mean, maybe Paul owes you some money or something to reconsecrate the temple." I, I don't understand what the issue is. This is the, the Roman mindset that Festus is having trouble making sense of. And so he's saying none of this stuff is a capital offense. None of this stuff is deserving of death. So all of the things they're charging him with, he's like, I don't even understand what you're saying. This is all nonsense. Verse 20, I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. Again, he's he's thinking, maybe there's some merit here, but I have no idea. And again, he's wanting to do the Jews a favor, and so, but he's probably also thinking. Exactly, I think he's probably telling the truth here uh, to to King Agrippa that I don't really even know how to sort this out. So I'm thinking, if I take him there and everyone involved, we can go to the temple. We can maybe I can better understand what exactly happened or something. I don't know, I don't know. So I think he's wanting to do a favor. He's using Paul as a political football, but I think he's also at least half being true about this and saying, I don't know what to do about this. So maybe if we went there, there is some merit to trying him in Jerusalem. Verse 21. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So they're making a big deal about this, right? They, they've kind of met privately with Festus now, but now they want to make this grand entrance into the city and kind of basically say, I give my blessing to Festus being the ruler here Again, extending this olive branch because of this really weird dynamic of there being the Roman governors and and there being the the kings of Israel and all of this kind of craziness. They're essentially putting on this big show for everyone, especially all of the elites, to show them that we're, we're working hand in hand here. And so they bring Paul in. Verse 24, Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, So that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. So Festus is saying, this isn't about finding out if he's guilty or innocent. This is just, I don't even know, like I don't have a letter to send with the, the, you know, the officer with Paul as he's going on his way to Rome. I don't know what to tell him. He's standing before Caesar about. I can't send him to Caesar. Say, this is what he's accused of. How do you find it? He's like, he would essentially be sending Paul and saying, hey, here's a guy that you have to decide is he deserving a death or not. And and Festus is thinking, Caesar is going to think, what is this moron Festus doing wasting my time like this? He's sending this guy here. It was like, why didn't you handle this? If you don't have any charges or accusations, you should have dealt with this. So So Festus is thinking, if I send Paul like this, it's probably going to be my head on the the chopping block. Verse twenty seven. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. <laughs> oh, is that unreasonable? Yes, of course, that's unreasonable. Festus understands exactly what would happen. Is it's no longer Paul who's going to die. It's going to be Caesar who's going to call Festus in, saying, "What kind of an idiot are you? You can work in the salt mine somewhere or something." You know, he's going to. This is not going to look good for him. So he, I think all of this actually is, from Festus's perspective, important to take care of this to, to be able to send Paul with some kind of information as far as what on earth has this man done wrong that I'm sending him to, you know, Caesar to to be tried for something, right? You've got to have charges, you got to have accusations, you got to have some kind of evidence, you got to have something, right? In our context, we've got the district attorney and all the police, and they create this case against someone. And Festus is saying, I have none of that. I have nothing except for stuff relating just to Jewish law. And if I send him to Caesar related to Jewish law, Caesar is going to have my head. And I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in, uh, he wants to do the Jews some favors, but not this kind of favor. He's not going this far for them. And so that is what this, uh, let's call a kangaroo court, that's what they've all been up to this point. That's what this is going to decide, or what on earth are the actual charges we're sending Paul to Rome with. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time.